Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast, Med Family. I'm your host, Eric Acker. I wanted to do kind of a quick update. I, I know this is being recorded. Today is the 27th Thursday, so I'm recording this obviously a bit late. And, uh, you know, when they talk about doing podcasts you look at all the resources online out there and they're like you should have a few in the bank you should always post on the same day and you should be very consistent and uh well we're just not doing that this not doing very well this uh this month for sure and i apologize about that i know i need to be a little bit more uh tightened up a little bit but honestly we're in kind of a bit of a busy season right now with the match cycle going interviews and away rotations. It was kind of a nice, perfect storm of just not getting anything done. Plus we had some family in town and it's just hard to excuse ourselves and spend an hour in a bedroom without making that sound weird. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, I'm just going to do this. I'm doing a quick update. Uh, Karen's out with the kids and my mom's out there. So I'm just going to do a quick update and let you guys know where we are at and what we've been up to. Uh, first off, I really wanted to, again, thank Gabrielle Rupert uh, for doing this special episode with me that I think I posted that last week. Uh, that was, again, a lot of fun. I hope if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I would definitely encourage you to listen to it. And then uh, we we just got back from the away rotation. So, I, you know, as you kind of might have heard, <laughs> the audio quality was a little weird because we were trying to do it remotely and every, everything was being recorded uh, separately and then being combined together. We had to normalize a lot of uh, the audio and it was definitely more of a technological trick. But uh, we are now um, back in Warner Robins away and back from the away rotation. And I wanted the, I, I know I spent probably the last four weeks just really avoiding talking about the away rotation. And there, uh, probably in the future, I'll talk more about it as far as why I have been avoiding talking and very specifically about this away rotation. But uh, at least let's talk about it for now. Uh, some kind of broader <laughs> overviews and some things I learned. Cause I, I think uh, just very generally, uh, the first couple weeks of the away rotation, I was really taken aback by uh, what I was experiencing because I, I had gone through many experiences similarly on my core rotations where I felt like I had a lot more hands-on opportunity. I felt like I was uh, challenged more in a... A clinical setting where I was meeting with patients, having being more directly involved in patient care. Um, and then as a fourth year, you kind of get to that level and you kind of expect that to be your norm, especially since I did a in a way rotation in Northeast Georgia where I was relatively in direct patient care environments where I would be able to talk one on one with a patient without having receptors around. Uh, I wasn't, um, I was being quizzed and whatnot, but it was very much a, you're being quizzed about stuff you should know that you should have looked up about the patient. And so everything's kind of seemed to flow pretty well for one. You knew what you were kind of expecting that day when you woke up, looked at your patient list and you go, okay, I'm probably going to be asked about X, Y, and Z. My patient has hyponatremia. I'm probably going to be asked about hyponatremia and how to treat it. Uh, so you, you kind of knew, whereas this rotation, you didn't really know 
uh, what you were getting that particular day. I mean, if you looked at the list, you go, okay, we have uh, these these patients on our list today, because every day we would, you know, each medical student was with a different preceptor and different residents, so it was very complicated. And then some days you you didn't know what your clinic schedule looked like, uh, <laughs> what, what patients you were going to see. So it was very tricky in this particular this last rotation in Kansas City. And so it was very difficult to try to navigate that. And then again, going from very much involved in the patient's care where you were talking to the patients, you were doing physical exams and then presenting what your findings were, what you thought was. And then uh, I was always told, uh, especially in third year, that third year was all about doing a good history, good physical exam, and then doing an assessment. And that fourth year was all about the assessment and plan that you really should have mastered the history and physical, uh, getting all that stuff down. And the, and then fourth year is really all about developing your plans because you're going to be a doctor soon and you're going to need to have plans for how to treat your patients. So that was uh, what I was always told. And so this was a, a very, um, I kind of felt like a few steps back because like, oh, I wasn't involved in patient care. I wasn't involved in obtaining the history from the patient. I, I really was just kind of standing in the room away from everything. And that was very, um, to me, it was, a, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it was like, this is really disappointing. Like I, I went from being really involved to not being involved at all. Like I'm a fourth year, I should be doing a lot more stuff. Um, and so that was, uh, I think disappointing and, uh, aggravating to a lot of, um, <laughs> to a lot of things. And it's like, man, this is supposed to be an audition. This is supposed to be a whole lot of things. So what am I, what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, how are they assessing me? And it really kind of dawned on me probably about two weeks into it that this is, um, kind of one of those differences between sub I and audition. And it's like, again, one of those nuances that really no one talks very much about that, my previous rotation in Northeast Georgia was um, a sub-internship. So it was like, you are going to be the intern and kind of the intern, and you're going to do a lot of the intern stuff. You're going to basically operate as part of the team. Whereas an audition, it's, and there's definitely some overlap here. Uh, so I don't want to say like one is completely different than the other. Um, but auditions, it seemed like this last rotation was more of an audition where it was, you're embedded with the residents. You're definitely delineated as a medical student and you're asked to help on rare occasions, but they're not really assessing your clinical skills. That's something they feel like they could teach you as you go. If you get into the program, they can teach you the clinical skills. They can teach you X, Y, and Z. What they really want to do is know if you know your anatomy, if you know, <laughs> you know, they can ask you questions about anatomy and they can ask you questions um, about classifications of different things. And like, how well can you read an x-ray? Uh, and then Secondly, and probably more importantly, actually probably should have been the first thing I said was, how well do you fit with the residents? Like, do you, are you uh, friendly? Do you, do you seem to work well with the residents? Because a lot of these, uh, this particular program, it's, you know, a smaller resident class and 
they want to make sure that the people that they bring on into their program can work together well because if you have you know a few people who butt heads all the time that's going to make life a lot harder and everyone has to work as a team and everyone has to kind of share the load and so that everyone has a you know you can you can get done with your day and go home and so I think that was really the difference is what I kind of noticed about one or two weeks into this is that they were really only assessing me based off of how well I, I worked with the residents, how well I fit in with the group. And then, of course, any knowledge that they asked me, like, hey, what's this? What am I looking at here? And what, what are some of the classifications you might uh, want to do? You know, especially when we were looking at x-rays, they'd be like, well, what's the classification of this fracture? And stuff like that. So that was um, definitely new. <laughs> um, and what maybe some of the things that we can improve on as uh, medical students is sometimes we do the anatomy. And you, they would think anatomy is important all through medicine. And it, it is to a large extent. But um, to the deta- level of detail that you need to know your anatomy, you kind of learn most of it first and second term, at least as far as Trinity is concerned. And you kind of move on from it and you kind of retain certain aspects of your anatomy. But and then in fourth year, you're getting asked for different things. And I I just was struggling uh, with certain aspects of anatomy. I knew some things I didn't know others. And that was uh, definitely on display. (laughs) Uh, That was definitely a thing I I was very uh, self-conscious about is that this is my first rotation of this kind. And there were other students there from other medical schools uh, that were very well versed in their anatomy and very uh, competent in knowing their classifications and uh, indications and count, uh, contraindications. And uh, they were very, very good. And this wasn't their first rotation of this kind. This wasn't their first audition. It was like the fourth. Oh, they had this is maybe a third and they have three others lined up. So it was uh, <laughs> like... I got constantly asked, like, how many more of these auditions do you have? And it's like, well, this is my only one. And they're like, huh, that's interesting. And they would move on. Um, This is obviously something that is very important to these residents that you do lots of auditions. And I think it's um, like you do your first audition of this kind and it was expected that you didn't know a whole lot, but you would gain knowledge as you went through. And now, you know, understanding the expectations, you would spend the time studying and kind of start trying to get up to speed. And uh, by your third or fourth or fifth audition, you would be uh, in pretty good shape. And so they kind of would ask you about that. I think it's a subtle way of trying to figure out like, okay, are you going to have five more of these? In which case we can expect you to be basically a master or you've mastered some of this stuff. And so when we start thinking about (laughs) you as a resident, a possible resident, you know, are you going to be like up to speed or are you going to need a lot more help? So uh, certainly something that's on my mind is like, okay, I need to maybe spend some time in addition to my elective work and my uh, interview work, trying to improve myself in this topic and this, this field just to, if I do get the opportunity uh, to be in this field, that I would be useful or competent. And I think it will probably serve me well, regardless of what um, match I get. So, and again, I think it kind of all boiled down to expectations and mentality going into it. Like if I, I think initially I was a little bit more miserable being away from the family for four weeks. And especially after a previous sub I where I was away 
uh, six days of the week away from the family and only really back in town for like a few hours. And then having to turn around and drive back was very difficult. And so that, I think, weighed on my (laughs) how how I was feeling about things. And then, you know, being away for um, things was definitely tricky. So that in conjunction with kind of feeling like this was a step backwards from third year medical school work. I I think if I would have had a better expectation that this is uh, more focused on interpersonal relationships and basic science knowledge that maybe if, if I would have focused more on that, I would have been a little bit more happier because again, I would, you walk in, you go, okay, I have this book that one of my previous bosses said I should probably get. And I've been looking it over and it's okay, but it's, it's more of like a resource guide. Like you thumb through it for the topic you're looking for and you don't just read it. And then I'm going to these clinics and I'm just, I'm not really sure what's expected of me. I felt like I just shadowed somebody the entire day. I wasn't talked to, but in some instances, people wouldn't talk to you. And so you just kind of felt like, what's the point? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, how can I be preparing? And of course, the other frustrating thing, I think this is a, uh, well, to me, go back, just finish that thought. Just like, how am I supposed to be preparing for this, these rotations and how these days of clinic and how am I supposed to know what, what information should I be looking up and getting better at in order to impress the preceptors and the residents? And that was like, it kind of leads me to the, my, my overarching frustration with uh, medical students in general is you this happens i think it happens very often where you i I, again i've mentioned this before where i really want to know how to best prepare and how to best be the best student i could be during a rotation and to set yourself up for the best learning opportunities and it's kind of like you start off as a novice and you work your way towards like an apprentice and then a master eventually you're hoping to get to the mastery level and you maybe you're not going to master it in three weeks and or four weeks or whatever it is you're not going to really get to the the mastery but you want to get you want to show some progress and like I don't want to be a novice the entire time. And so I usually ask people before I start a rotation, like how can I best set myself up to be successful during this rotation? I want to, I want to look up some videos. I want to read some material. I want to be up to date on like, some of the basics of this of this particular rotation. Like you go into internal medicine, you want to know the basics. Like, what are the 13 things that you're going to see in the hospital? I mean, hyponatremia, AFib. Like, you'd be up to date on some of those things. You want to know some of the basics of how to ba- treat some of that stuff, what medications you should be looking for, like that sort of stuff. You And, like, you know some of that stuff from your medical education, obviously third and fourth year, and even, like, uh, fifth term for Trinity, they they talk about some of that stuff. And so you're kind of getting it, but you really want to know when talking, I want to know when I ask somebody, hey, what, how can I best set myself up? And all all the time you're getting, oh, you'll be fine, you know all the information, blah, blah, blah. And so, like... You're wanting, like, I, I have time to study, I have time to prepare, but I, nobody's giving me any information, nobody's telling me, you know, crack this book open, just refresh your memory on these topics. And so I'm going in not having refreshed anything because I don't know. I don't know what, I'm, what I don't know. And then you go in, you're like, oh, gosh, now I, now I understand how deficient I am in some of these topics. Like, if I would have known that you should probably be watching this video series it's a at least a you know it's kind of like going into online medic medic med ed and watching a bunch of those videos and like okay now i have a foundation like 
if I would have known that, I would have done that. And I would be a little bit further along. I wouldn't have to be starting that step one, you know, three, two week, one week into this. And now I only have three weeks to, to try to cram through a whole bunch more videos and hope that I am in good shape. Like I had time from when I took step two to when I started uh, some of my away rotations to really spend some time studying for this one. And so it's a little, it's a little definitely frustrating especially since I, I had asked some of the residents before I come to this program, like, hey, how can I be successful? And they're like, we'll talk on Sunday night before you start your rotation. And it's like, okay, sounds good. And then you talk and it's like, oh, uh, this is stuff I should have known two weeks ago. Like, this is stuff I, I needed to prepare for. Like, I can do some of this stuff on my off time, but like, the hit the ground running on day one. I should have known this stuff a long time ago. So that, that can be very frustrating. And I think that's something a lot of medical students go through is that they, some will ask the question and then for whatever reason, us as medical students, instead of giving them a detailed answer, we'll just be like, you'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I want to be prepared. Uh, so okay, sorry, that's my little rant there. I, re I really do wish people would, uh, be open and honest. Like I, I understand that there's some competitiveness to medicine, especially between medical students. And I'm not trying to say any particular medical student was overly competitive, but I understand there's the idea of like, well, if I give the, give away the game, like then, and they go to my, that preceptor I just had, then like, I take, for example, I did um, general surgery with Dr. Kerry Rogers and I definitely took it upon me myself to talk to the people who were coming behind me and said, hey, prepare for these things. Look up this stuff. And it's not that I didn't want them to have good learning experiences. I think you can learn a whole lot better if you are prepared. Like I wasn't telling them, hey, look up goods all rule. Goods all rule is this. And they, I was teaching them ahead of time or just telling them the answer. I was telling them to look it up. And if they did the effort and looked it up, they were better prepared they got when they got asked that question he would be impressed hopefully that they understood what the uh the question you know, the answer to it was and so he can then push their teaching further whereas my experience was i didn't know that my learning experience kind of stopped there until i i did look it up and learn it so it's um definitely trickier but you know you could look at that and go well you're you're going to look worse because you didn't learn as much during your time period than the people behind you. And so he might look at you, Dr. Rogers might look at myself and go, oh, he's just not as good of a student as my last group because my last group got so much further. And I look at it as like, look, I'm setting the table to help the people behind me get the best experience possible. It's like, it's, I got whatever experience I got. Like there's no, there's no going back. There's no repeating the last three weeks of my, or six weeks of my general surgery rotation. Like I, I did as best as I could with the information I had and the time I had. Now, how can I make the next people's group, you know, time better? Like if they're going to have six weeks with this guy, how can I make their life better? Like how can they learn the most? And there was definitely a few guys that approached me and asked me and I, went out of my way to help them get the best experience they could get. And I, I have no problem with that. And if they get great letters of recommendation out of it, good for them. It doesn't, doesn't hurt me. <laughs> you know, I got my letter of recommendation and it is what it is. And if they got a better letter of recommendation, that's good for them. It sucks a little bit for me that maybe mine's not as good, but 
And I know there's limited slots, there's more competition, but at the same time, like I want, I want my classmates to do well. And I think most medical students would want their classmates to do well. And I think we should all want us each other to do well and improve. And that's why I kind of think information should be free flowing and people should be willing to talk and mentor. And I think that's a big part of medicine is mentorship, um, mentoring the people below you so that they learn as much as they can. Because at the end of the day, we all want to be good doctors. <laughs> we all want to be able to treat our patients well. And we get there by advancing as fast as we can through the information and mastering it as quickly as possible. So anyway, that's my, that's my rant about, um, that's my rant about my audition rotation, my last audition rotation, uh, that which kind of leads into, I, I, I've been working with our student government, um, here has a mentoring program with some of the patient, uh, some of the students who are in fifth term or moving past fifth term into cores, and so I gave, I, I had signed up to be the mentor for the orthopedic people, which it's kind of hard because like, I don't think our school has actually placed anyone in orthopedics, which is one of the most competitive specialties that are out there. So, and you know, I'm not an orthopedic resident or anything like that. So I have limited experience, but I do have some experience in this field. And so I always feel a little bit inept at, but at the same time, I don't feel like we get really good advice anyway. So I've been, I have been talking to some of the orthopedic medical student, more orthopedic minded medical students from other schools through my interactions on uh, rotations and then, and then taking that information that I never got because, you know, when I started medical school, I was interested in orthopedics. So I definitely, and I, I did seven years in the, in a musculoskeletal clinic, um, well, you know, the musculoskeletal department within a larger clinic, but uh, there was definitely the emphasis in my job for seven years on orthopedics. And so I'm, I have a special place in my heart for orthopedics. And um, I, I definitely started medical school thinking I would go that route. Um, I don't know if that's really in the cards for me. We'll see how match goes. Uh, so we, <laughs> so I was trying to advise this, uh, this student on orthopedics and I'm just giving him the kind of the brutal information. Um, and I'll, I'll even say it here, like, a lot of orthopedics is obviously numbers. Like you need a good step one score. You need, and if you know if you didn't do pass fail, if you did pass fail, then you know you just need a pass. But you also need a good step two score, and you probably should take care to make sure your shelf shelf exams are uh, looking good. And of course, your cores related to the shelf exams are looking good. Anything that can look bad can definitely hurt you. And in a in a field where uh, it's really competitive. There's not very many slots and they would be looking for anything to say no to you. Um, and another aspect of orthopedics is, uh, I, what I like to call protectionism. Um, before a big merge in residencies, there were DOs and MDs, um, programs for orthopedics and, you know, the DOs only took DOs and the MDs generally only took MDs. And so the the programs have been pretty well segregated for all those years, and all the programs were segregated like that, more or less. There was there's some crossover, but they merged. But orthopedics tends to be one of the kind of the last holdouts. Where you look at a lot of traditional programs that were always DO or always MD programs, they still really haven't 
adopted <laughs> taking on the 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 opposite um, insignia for doctors. Like if you were in a historical MD program, uh, they don't seem to be taking a whole lot of DOs, if any. And the same with DO programs. They don't seem to be taking a whole lot of MDs at all. And it's not because they do uh, OST, uh, OM, OMN in the DO programs and MDs just can't do it. Like there's probably a few osteopathic recognition programs out there, but generally it's just uh, the mentality has been if a DO program, a historically DO program takes an MD, then you have reduced a slot <laughs> that a DO can get into. So there's one less DO student getting an orthopedic residency. And so they want to help out their DO uh, friends and DO students. And so they tend to gravitate towards the uh, the DO students um, and the preferential treatment towards them when when looking at Program, uh, admissions uh, into their residency. And I think to some degree the MDs do the same thing. At least there's a, the, the, the feeling that the MDs do the same. So a lot of DOs, and also on top of this has kind of become a self-fulfilled prophecy, a lot of the DOs will only go to DO programs to do auditions. And that's just where the other component is. Uh, auditions tend to mean a lot in these rotations. So if you get the good scores, that's all great. You could have great scores, but if you don't do any auditions, your chances of matching go down a lot. Where if you do a bunch of auditions, well, then you have a good, a decent chance. You know, a few programs have gotten a good look at you. They understand your knowledge base. They understand how well you fit with their group, and uh, that might be a cons- definitely you. You become part of the consideration process. So I would. Um, I had told this particular student and I would encourage anyone who is considering orthopedics that um, auditions, auditions, auditions. It's definitely harder for an IMG to get auditions. I I went and kind of looked uh, very recently at auditions for orthopedics and uh, for particularly um, our school, Trinity, we don't participate in the VSLO uh application process for auditions i think it goes through aamc and so there's a lot of programs out there that use vslo regardless of whatever specialty you're interested in so that automatically eliminates a whole lot of opportunities uh, for us and then there's other programs that specifically do not want to work with imgs they actually will say on the website you know they have a particular application if you're a student looking to do an audition rotation with them or a fourth year elective rotation they'll say fill out this application and then the disclaimer will say well but if you're an img we would uh, we don't want to make any new affiliation agreements with img students so that's uh, a bit of a bummer there <laughs> so it's i think a bit of a trick to find programs that have been at least interested in img students or would be open to taking an IMG student into the program and then finding ones that are like that and will let you do an audition rotation. So this is one of those, hey, if you're a third year, you're looking at orthopedics as an option for you. Uh, Besides study hard and do well on step two on your shelves, uh, start looking at these programs now (laughs) and know when the application's open, when to apply, when to do all that stuff and start getting ready and doing that work because 
um, if you do it right after you do your step two, when you get your step two score, you might be a little bit behind the game and uh, suffering as far as getting uh, those opportunities. So that's my overall general advice. There's obviously other, a whole lot more to it. I wrote a, a long, long multiple paragraph email to this particular student outlining the process um, and the expenditure that you would have to do to do these. Because I, I mean, I've done now two away rotations, uh, regardless of whether you do orthopedics, internal medicine, or whatever. These away rotations cost money. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sometimes you get a program like uh, Northeast Georgia where they set me up with uh, some housing that didn't cost me any extra money. But uh, sometimes you also get programs that do not provide housing. Uh, and then you still also need to provide transportation for yourself. You need to get to the there, so you, like, gas is expensive, housing ex- is expensive, and so that stuff all co- costs money and adds to the adds to the cost of uh, doing it in a way. Uh, even if you got it in a way that maybe doesn't charge anything extra than what your school pays, then that's great. But then you still have to pay for housing. You still have to pay for driving. So. I, I think I, I've generally estimated that every time you do an away rotation, you just consider uh, budgeting two thousand to maybe three thousand dollars just to be safe. You may not use it, you know, over four weeks. You may not use the two thousand dollars, but just budget it just in case because you never know, um, and you don't really want to be caught in a in a situation where you don't have enough funds to to finish off the four weeks or to get home or whatever it is or feed yourself. Like you should be definitely concerned about feeding yourself during these rotations um let me switch gears here to the other aspect of uh fourth year life um uh the other aspects i should say there's the current elective i'm i'm on a radiology elective and uh that is uh for multiple reasons i mean obviously i need to be better versed at my imaging and how to read images what uh anatomical structures i'm looking at through different imaging modalities so I'm doing a three-week uh, radiology rotation. It is eh, mostly virtual. Um, I mean, it is virtual. I mean, we log in through Zoom and talk to our preceptor through Zoom, and we look over images with him, and he quizzes us on anatomical structures, what we're looking at, what the possible pathologies could be, uh, and how the patient might be presenting based on pathology. And imaging is supposed to be helping you make a clinical diagnosis, not necessarily giving you a clinical diagnosis, uh, something to consider. Like, for example, we were looking at some images of the spine uh, the other day, and we saw some like stenosis of the S1 nerve uh, of, uh, facets. And he was asking us how that would present. And we said, oh, it would present like this. And then he said, well, this is how the patient is presenting. Do you think what we're seeing on imaging here relates to how the patient is presenting. And it's like, well, no, the nerve distribution of the S1 nerve is very different than let's say the, uh, the L2. <laughs> and so, um, no, what we're seeing on imaging doesn't seem to relate to what the patient is experiencing. And it doesn't mean the patient is lying about their experience. It just means uh, that what we see on imaging is non-clinical. You know, it's there, but it's not causing symptoms. So you would report it, obviously, but you also wouldn't say, yeah, you should get that fixed. <laughs> because if it's not hurting you, you don't need to fix it. Uh so that was uh, that's been kind of an interesting experience. I, I'm woefully ignorant on my imaging, and I have a lot of work to do. So I am 
finding he this particular preset that provides you with resources and uh, recommendations on videos to watch to kind of get you up to speed. And then, of course, during the entire class, there are different people, different stages of this rotation. So there's a three week rotation. There are students that are on their third week and patient, uh, students who are on the second week. And of course, like me, there's a few who are just starting. So different uh, levels of knowledge being shown. And I'm woefully behind and I need to kind of catch up. So there's that. But again, uh, the other reasons why I think I chose this rotation, besides there's an obvious uh, educational deficiency I need to catch up on. Uh, this is also an online. It's a few hours a day, plus whatever study time you, you give it. So it's a pretty flexible schedule. Uh, Karen is obviously pregnant um, and she is due within the next few weeks. Uh, she, I think her due week is next week. So we are on baby watch, essentially. Uh, hence why my mom is in town. Uh, to help us out with the kids while Karen uh, possibly goes into labor. Uh, so that is what we are doing. And so this this rotation kind of gives you that flexibility that hopefully, even though Karen goes into labor, maybe I still don't, I don't miss that many classes. And so this doesn't really hurt, hurt me as far as the rotation goes. So uh, there's that. And that's when, one of the things I also like about this rotation. And that's why I picked it for this time period. The other aspect of fourth year that we are currently working on is the interviews. <laughs> um, uh, are, we are, you know, of course, we sent those applications off through ERAS, and we're, every, every medical student knows you just anxiously check your email constantly. Uh, I have set uh, my email up so that if I get a no reply at eras.org uh, email address coming into my inbox, it will send me a notification on my watch and my phone saying, hey, you got an email from no reply at eras or my eras.org. I can't remember the exact uh, address, but it, it's a notification. Everything seems to come through that. And so once I get that, I immediately go check it and see if it's good news. Sometimes it's like, hey, please complete this survey. And it's like, ah, I don't want to complete a survey. I just want to get more invites. Um, or it's an invite, in which case you got to log on to Eva's real quick, look at the interview dates that are offered, find which one's not going to bother your schedule too much and it's going to be in a, a good time period. My general strategy is get them done as early as possible, but I'm avoiding any interviews during the delivery week <laughs> for obvious reasons and um and so just and then you know, also my other strategy i'm trying to employ is like you know for a few electives while they are electives and uh, some people kind of think of them as we're just kind of coasting through the end of your medical education i also look at them as these are learning opportunities and times to really kind of expand your knowledge and try to get as much as you can from your medical education before you have to jump in as an intern and you're expected to know a whole bunch of stuff and you're expected to be treating patients so this is the the home stretch where you got to get as much information as you can so i try to pick interviews that will be as least disruptive of my fourth year electives as possible i'm trying not to have like a week of four or five interviews with my my attending or preceptor would be maybe a little aggravated or exasperated that i'm basically only there for like one or two days uh, i'm trying to make it so that if i do do an interview it's only a half day uh, so I can just jump back into my rotation. That, that's my goal here. I, I just really don't want to disrupt my fourth year electives too much. And I understand a lot of preceptors understand that this is the season for this. And they've been relatively 
um, open to missed missed dates. Like for example, I had an interview yesterday. My radiology attending scheduled our uh, class for like 4 p.m. So right after I got done with my interview, I could jump into my radiology class. So that was very convenient. Uh, I do appreciate it. I, again, I'm still learning and not losing my opportunities at the same time as I'm trying to create opportunities for my future. So it's uh, it's good. <laughs> uh, and of course, you get these interviews and you're, um, I, I, my, like I mentioned before, I'm preparing for the interviews. Sometimes they give you the format. They tell you which people are, which faculty members are going to be involved in the interviews. And so I try to spend a little bit of time looking up some of the, the attendings because I, I like to try to think of questions that are very specific to that attending or that particular faculty member or program director, whatever it is. And usually the programs will have bio, uh, bio bios for these uh, people and try to use a little bit of information on the bio, try to find uh, how do like Google Scholar searches for the, on the on the people try to see if they have any articles that they've written, um, any journals that they've written into. So I just try to get a little bit of information backstory on them. Sometimes I will search social media, YouTube, and stuff like that to see if they uh, have other um, interests that might be good conversation. Because I, I in the end you you want to have a good conversation. And so some of these are, the formats so far have been pretty traditional style. They ask you a bunch of questions, you know, situational. Imagine a time you dealt with a difficult resident or nurse. How did you deal with that? And uh, how did you resolve that? What did you learn? Um, and then always trying to relate it to a lot. Of, and I don't, I don't love these questions. I always feel like I, I try to do my best at answering them. And I, I feel like I end up being a broken record. Like usually if it's an interpersonal conflict or <laughs> if it's a, a relationship conflict between colleagues or whatever you know, in the past I've worked with, I always boil it down to communication because, you know, what is the, one of the bare uh, fundamental uh, things that we do as humans between interpersonal relations between humans it's communication you know how do we communicate how do we how do we interact uh is through communication essentially so i feel like the, always the the key to the answer is better communication uh, clearer communication and i hate feeling like a broken record because like well how would you deal with a colleague that you had a difficulty with and it's like well it's all about communication it's a you work on a group project you know communicating clear goals and clear objectives and if uh, checking in regularly to make sure we are uh, to ensure progress is being made on certain deadlines and if progress is not being made trying to figure out why that might be if someone needs a little extra help and how to get them the help um, and not make assumptions along the way. So, oh, wow, that's a very insightful answer. It's like communication, communication, communication. I feel like a broken record. Um, so I don't really love these questions because, again, I think you know, these are the obvious, the obvious answers. I don't, I don't think anyone's out there is like, uh, I like to yell at people. <laughs> or I'll just do it myself. Like those are obvious, obviously not the correct answers, uh, or at least not the ones that any program would be like. Oh, that that makes a whole lot of sense. Just do it yourself. Uh, sounds like you're a team player. You know, that's not any what any program I think is looking for. Maybe maybe honest, which maybe they're looking for a very honest answer. Um, but I tend to. It's hard with these um, programs that. But I think my overarching strategy, and I, I, 
it's kind of interesting. I, I put it in, and it was kind of a strategy when I started this whole application process. And I think it has paid off and, you know, kind of a retrospective look. I said, I look at it and go this, that really paid off. And I definitely appreciate that I did it, um, in my personal statement and in a few of my CV points or, uh, interests and whatnot, I definitely spent a little bit of time highlighting family and my, uh, advisor for these, this whole process did make a note and a warning to some extent that, Hey, if you, really highlight family and how my, you have a wife and kids that uh, some programs might look at that as a liability, something to keep in mind that you can't control how somebody feels about family and kids and whatnot, that if a particular program director or faculty member looks at it and their personal view is that kids and family take time and energy and might uh, suck a little bit of that time and energy away from your education as a resident. That's how they feel. Well, that's how they feel. And so they might come across your application and that's, that's the thing that comes across their mind and that's what they judge you for. And then they go, well, I feel like that's, that will take you, that will take this vocation stage in your life will take you away from the program. And I don't feel like you're going to be a, up to be able to keep up to speed on what's required of you as a resident. So therefore, I don't want to offer you an interview. And then I've more or less have lost out on interviews for that. I don't know if that's true. Um, but I, I definitely, from my experience so far, three interviews is that um, each three, the program directors have commented on my family and that, and they've seemed to be very excited about having students and residents who have family. I'm not saying, well, that means every program director really loves families. I think by doing what I did, I've created uh, a selection process, if you will, where the programs that are interested in me um, know that going in. And so it's not a surprise. It's not a, it's not a liability uh, for the programs that I've been uh, invited to interview at. So I think that's an interesting strategy instead of trying to deal with that during the interview, you know, where you spring it on them that you have four kids and <laughs> one on the way, that instead of springing it on them and then them, them adding that into the calculation at that point, uh, I've already more or less self-selected uh, programs that are favorable to it. So it's no longer really part of the process, no longer part of the, uh, now it's just kind of, it also, it just ends up being an asset of like, now it's a talking point during the interview. Now we can talk about kids and family and how, how we make those balances work and how we be still a successful intern and, you know, <laughs> learning all we need to learn during our intern and second and third years, uh, and how family can be an asset to that. Uh, and not a not a liability. Um, so uh, I would say there's probably plenty of programs out there that have sent me rejection letters or have already kind of crossed my name off their list based off of what I wrote in my personal statement. Maybe they also did it because of my my board scores. You know, you never know. I, you don't. We're not really getting that kind of feedback from programs during this process. But I will say that so far, the three of the three interviews I've done. They've been very receptive to me having a family and not uh, necessarily give, getting the impression that they see it as a liability. So I, I've more or less selected into programs that are family friendly by doing what I did on my initial application. So that's something that I think uh, it's worth considering if you have things that are liability, addressing them in your application early 
um, then kind of leave anyone you get in invites as long as you do an adequate job doing it, I think. Um, and at least describing how your possible liabilities are actually assets. Uh, then when you get interviews, they are not um, things you have to spend a lot of time explaining away or trying to convince the preceptor or the attending that this is actually a good thing or whatever. Uh, you should, well, you should ignore this part of my application or something like that. So, uh, and that's, I mean, that's a very generalized statement. Um, so just something to consider when you, when you start crafting your, your match application is like, how, how can you, um, kind of select yourself into a group of people who are receptive to, um, your, where you're at in life. So that's something that I, I mean, you can be very strategic, I think, in the onset, and that will pay off later. So as far as interview goes, as of the, this recording, I'm up to 10 interviews. Uh, so that's um, that was kind of my goal, to be honest. Um, uh, I flagged seven programs, and you know, only one of those programs I flagged has <laughs> is actually asked me to invite. So it's it's still kind of young in the interview season. Uh, so there's still possibilities of getting future interviews. The the weirdest uh, interview invite I will say I have gotten has been I got a phone call last night. I was dropping my sister off at the airport. And I got a phone call as I was leaving the airport. I just kind of assumed it was my sister calling me saying she forgot something. So I answered it because otherwise I, I don't typically answer numbers I don't recognize. But I answered it and it was a program calling me to invite me to an interview, which is uh, a very abnormal because most of the time I you get interview invites through email like I mentioned before. So <laughs> it was very, very unique uh, and something I just wanted to mention because like, man, I... I don't know what would happen if any other time I would have gotten a phone call and I would have probably just ignored it. So I don't know if they would have left a voicemail saying, Hey, we're in, this is so and such and such program inviting you for an interview. What dates would you like? I, I don't know if I, you know, I would have gotten that interview or if I would have had the same selection of options as I, I did. So, um, something to kind of keep in mind, which is kind of a bummer. I don't really particularly love that style. I mean, it's very personal and I did enjoy talking to that particular person. Um, but it's certainly a little nerve wracking now because like, you get a lot of spam calls. You get a lot of people starting to tell you car warranties and stuff like that. And like, I would much rather just not talk to those people on the phone. Um, I would rather just, you know, answer phone calls from people I know. But now it's, oh, now I have to consider the fact that if I'm calling or I'm getting a call from somewhere, uh, I don't know that maybe it could be a program. And so I might, for the next few months, have to just answer everything, which, yeah, not, not my favorite thing. But I thought worth mentioning because you might run across a similar issue or a similar situation. But anyway, my uh, brief update has turned into a 45-minute update. I appreciate you guys listening to my rants and my frustrations during this process. Um, I, again, I, I, 10 interviews is great. Um, again, I, I, as always, this, this podcast is supposed to be an encouragement and demystify or make known to you what's going, going on in the third and fourth years of medical school. Cause obviously we started this podcast after step one. And so I really, you know, as I walked through it, I didn't really get a lot of information. I, you know, we asked a lot of people and we got some information from some people. And obviously we did interviews with people like Seth Elu and Matthew Barvo, and they provided a lot of good information as well. So I don't want to say I didn't get any good information. I definitely got some. 
Um, but hopefully this is a kind of a composite of information that you could use in your future uh, as you start going into the match or maybe you haven't started medical school and you're considering starting medical school that this is a a process that hey you can you can get to this point if i can get there i think most people can probably get there and do a good job so um uh yeah so that that's it for this week we will um, be back again next week hopefully on a more timely uh, regular schedule you know publishing on wednesday morning so you guys can have it wednesday morning but this is our uh, episode i hope you guys enjoyed it and thank you very much if you want to follow us uh you can subscribe to our podcast uh any of the major pl- uh, podcasting platforms apple podcast amazon spotify um and then if you want to uh, leave a comment, you can leave a comment. I think it's like Amazon and Apple Podcasts are, allow you to leave star five-star ratings and comments. We appreciate those. Uh, and then if you want to talk to us of any questions, you can send us a message uh, through Instagram, <laughs> MedFamilyMD. Karen does look at that, and she'll let me know if anything I need to address. Uh, we're always happy to hear from people and if you have any questions we're, again I meant, talked about mentorship I think that's important uh, to the medical field I think it's important to the medical journey uh, whether you are a, a old attending you know a few years into the attending process like we uh, we should be always looking at the people coming behind us and going we want them to have to be good at their job we, you know this is a a system of medicine and learning of medicine that really comes from a lot of experience and people sharing knowledge. And so uh, I am happy to be a mentor as, as people ask questions, I would like to provide you the best information I have and you can add that to whatever information you get from other people and hopefully you'll be a better doctor for it uh so yes that's uh, medfamilymd on instagram uh, you can send us messages that way i uh, hope you guys have a good week and i will talk to you next week